0: everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Tim and I will be your host for today. I'm really excited because today we'll be talking about the recent documentary film, Fathom. If you were to listen to all the whales around the world at the same time, most of those sounds would be calls. Sometimes they occur in series that change order. Sometimes they occur one by one but they're short, and we understand very little about them. But of all of the humpback calls, I think one is the most important. The whoop. This call is produced, we think, by everyone. This is an animal that has the potential to produce infinite numbers of calls. Why is this call unique? Why is this call special? And the best way to start finding that out is by playing it to a whale and seeing how the whale responds. It's about the sophistication of the humpback whale song and the scientists pursuing decoding the language of these amazing creatures. It is available through Apple TV streaming service and joining me today is Brad Engelking, the film's sound supervisor and re-recording mixer. Welcome to the show, Brad.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Listeners will remember Brad from our episode 123 when he talked to us about his work on A Hidden Life. He's also worked on Alita Battle Angel, From Dusk Till Dawn, the series, and We Can Be Heroes as well as many, many other things. Brad, welcome to the show. Can you tell me a bit about how you ended up working on Fathom?
1: Yeah. um, I've known kind of peripherally the director and the producer for a long time. And, you know, we were kind of met at a party one day and they were, this is way before they had shot. It was something Drew was thinking about doing and planning out. He just kind of told me about it. And he was real specific that it was like a sound show, that it was, that the sound was a very, very important part of the show. And, and, so I got really excited about it, and we started kind of just talking about different ideas and different things. And you know, I don't think we spoke for maybe two years after that. And then one day he called and said, "Hey, I need to record all this uh, voiceover, and I'm in Alaska. Like, what do I do?" <laughs> so I, you know, I kind of helped him through that a little bit. And um, and then when I saw it, I was just blown away. It was just an amazing show.
0: One of the focal points of both the plot and what makes it so special sound-wise is the actual whale song. So it's about scientists uh, trying to design both microphones and underwater speakers, in one of the scientists' case, to play whale song to the whales so that they'll respond. And the whale recordings that are in this film are like nothing I've ever heard before. They are absolutely beautiful. In fact, if anyone is watching the movie, make sure you stay for the credits because instead of rolling score, you just roll whale song for the whole like six or seven minutes of credits and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, What were the whale song like when it got into your hands? Did you have to do a ton of cleanup or what, what? Tell me the story of the whale song here.
1: You know, working hand in hand with me and with Drew, we had uh, Nick Ryan, who did uh, a lot of the whale stuff on the show. There's lots of water noise and swishing and bouncing around and stuff, so he had to take that and and clean it all up, which was a pretty monumental task. You know, and in imagine, doing it, yeah. yeah, and doing it in a way that doesn't ruin it. You know, so the whale recording is actually probably, at least to me, the most interesting part about it. A lot of the stuff was actually recorded in quad. Oh, wow. Yeah, and by Michelle, who's, you know, featured in the film, is she has these hydrophones that she's, like, kind of customized to work for her, and she has all these, like, ways that she's figured out to, you know, kind of isolate them so that they're not picking up as much water noise, and they're not getting banged around as much. But what she does is she makes a one kilometer square, and she puts one on each corner, Wow! and then And then just hits record. And because of the way that she has to do that, like she's not physically connected to them. So she literally like, she claps just like a clacker. She claps, they dump them in the water and then just wait. And then, you know, however much recording they get, they pick them back up and go see what they got. So a lot of that stuff is featured heavily in the movie you know, I mean, obviously we're using like echoes and reverbs and delays and stuff, but that stuff just has a natural effect to it like that, that I, in my mind, you, you really can't recreate. We took a lot of that and then kind of in the Atmos field, you know, moved it around a little bit, kept it moving within that field as well. So it's kind of moving in all three dimensions and it has that built-in dimensional characteristic to it. So to me, that's kind of like the most the coolest thing about it is a lot of these sounds haven't been heard by the public before, you know?
0: So when you say it was recorded in quad, did you use the quad recordings? Or did oh, you yeah. just, like, if the whale was near one, were the other ones still useful? I don't oh, yeah. know how far Whale Song yeah. travels in it, water. So, so it travels super far.
1: Like, that's that's kind of one of the cool things about the film in general, is it travels really far. and And part of what the scientists are trying to discover in this is how it's almost like a game of telephone, kind of, in that... These sounds can travel so far in water because of the density, right? So they can travel so far and, and, and then those songs they kind of morph as they cross the globe. It's fascinating and, and you know, one of the things that's talked about in the film is how you know, these whales they're hearing through space and time because, you know, they're hearing these sounds that might be from a while ago, right? And they might be traveling from a very long distance and yet they're hearing those at the same time, they're hearing something that's coming from a closer distance. We really tried to kind of do an experiential presentation of that. That's kind of what the sound design sections are, is, a, is an experiential representation of that. And again, you know, Nick, he had a, an enormous amount to do with that. That's really kind of his <laughs> his baby on that. But talking to Michelle, you know, I actually had a talk, uh, I, I spoke with her just the other day on the phone. And I, I said, you know, I know this isn't how you get to hear them when you're hearing it, you know, on headphones or when you're hearing it. This is it. the
0: scientist who recorded them. Yes,
1: that's correct. Yeah. Michelle fleurnais is her full name. And I just said, does it feel inauthentic to hear it that way or how does that feel? And she said, no, no, it's, it's cool because I can hear it kind of the way that a whale more would hear it without removing the veil of the microphone and the technology of that. And I, I said, well, you know, do you ever do it that way? She said, no, 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 I don't ever want to remove anything. Like I would rather have the absolutely, you know, with all its flaws, because maybe there's something in there that we would have removed that we would have missed. So it's kind of like when you have a vintage recording and you want to capture it with all its flaws and every, you know, maybe master it later, right? But mm-hmm. I think the the whale stuff is just, I, I'm also fascinated by it.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you added some delay and reverb and stuff. Can you talk me through that process? Like, cause you're trying to place it in an underwater environment, even though we, the camera doesn't really go into that underwater environment in the right. film.
1: That's right, that's right. Nick, Nick, Nick is uh, based in London. He has uh, Ben Baird, who does a lot of uh, sound effects mixing for him. And those guys kind of did an initial premix on the effects. So, you know, it came to me placed in with mostly with reverb, actually. And then, you know, we took it and, you know, once we put it in with the music, we changed stuff around a little bit and polished it a little bit. Um, There's a fair amount of delay. I I don't recall exactly what we were using, but it was long delays. And then we would, uh, again, in the Atmos field, kind of bounce that off different places in the room based on the whales in the left. We would bounce it off the rear right and the upper right and stuff like that. That, you know, that was the idea.
0: Well, it sounds beautiful. It's arresting how cool it sounds. You're not expecting. I've never heard anything, at least that comes across as authentic. That's that clean and full and beautiful. It really took me off guard when I first heard it. It's impressive.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, one of the things about that that I really you know we're going to talk about the whales the whole time and that's that's what we should be talking yeah, about yeah that's, that's uh, no problem. <laughs> uh, you know one of the things that's cool to me about it is some of the some of the whale calls particularly the ones that are kind of um, uh, alone in space where you just hear like one very specific call some of those have a lot of passion and a lot of feeling to them and you can't you can't hear them without saying like wow like that creates an emotion just on its own. And whether or not that's the emotion the whale's feeling, you know, who's to say. But there's a few of them where we would play it and you just, like, your heart would just be like, oh my God, you know? There's one in particular in the brain sequence when they're talking about how their brains are specifically wired to, you know, use sound, really to navigate and to do everything. I mean, that's their big sense, right? And there's this one that just sounds like the sound a mother would make as she's holding her dead baby. I mean, it's just rips your heart out when you hear it and um i i yeah you know and drew uh the director uh drew zanthopoulos you know he he was keyed into all that and and he knew ex- more or less exactly which ones he wanted where and how they sh- you know because you know he lived with them for a long long time
0: so you you mentioned the brain scan sequence there's a sequence yeah. in the film that kind of becomes uh almost like an art film where a light is being represented uh, uh, with the whale song at the same time. How did that come together? Did the audio come first or second in that?
1: So the audio came first, uh, uh, Nick mocked that up, and then they, they set it to visual effects and visual effects did it. And then when we got it back in the mix, we actually kind of um, thinned it out a little bit so that oh, it was okay. like a little more specific and it would bounce using the sound field and the screen channels and stuff that it would bounce off of where you see it. And the spatial mix, that's even cooler. It's it's really neat. in the, the spatial mix on, on Apple Plus.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of library did you get for this film? Like, were they cutting in whale during the picture edit or were you just given a giant library and said, go at it?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's some combination thereof. The edit process was long. You know, putting those things in place, I think, was kind of a two-way conversation. I don't think, it, you know, Drew knew he wanted a sound here, I think, but it wasn't like, it was like, here's my placeholder sounds and let's build upon that. And, you know, of course, sometimes we went back to that and sometimes uh, Nick had all this beautiful stuff prepared. So regularly, we're kind of going with that.
0: It's a small film, and I mean that as a compliment. In that uh, you don't feel like at any point, like there's a huge crew around the scientists. You don't really see the crew, but I'm assuming that, well, large sections of the movie take place on very small boats. So there couldn't have been five or six people of a film crew. So was the tracks, the dialogue you got, uh, what kind of shape were they in?
1: Drew, the director, he's the crew. There is no other crew. There was no other sound. And it was all 416 attached to the camera. There's no wow. lavalier. There's nothing. <laughs> so, so you know, that's always fun when you, when it starts from that.
0: But the advantage you have is, especially in the Alaska section, it's the environment would be pretty silent. You would think. Oh, I would think. OK, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Well,
1: I mean, you know, there's offshore rigs. There's boats in the distance. Obviously, none of it was, was not fixable. But it, it was a challenge because in the Alaska section in particular, you know, the, the direction was... His vision of what he saw while he was there and and the scientists' version of what of how they saw and felt it, right? He said, hey, man, it's quiet. It's really, really quiet. And then, of course, I get the production tracks in it. You know, it's not. Right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, the production tracks aren't quiet, I should say. Bringing the production, you know, background noise to a level where we could create this you know, moving ambient space without it just kind of all locking to the noise that's coming out of the center channel. That was a challenge for sure. And, and actually, you know, besides the obvious, you know, the cool sound design stuff, like I, I'm really pleased with the way the Alaska on the dinghy, it, it's very, very quiet. But it, it there's a lot of movement to the track. And you can feel that, Definitely. you know, if you have the opportunity to hear the Atmos or the spatial on, on Apple Plus or something, it really, it, it's got a lot of cool movement without being loud.
0: Cool. Well, I found myself trying to find their uh, lapels while I was watching the film at some point. So you did a good enough job that I was wondering, like, how, how do they do this? It's so clean. Ah, well, and wind you. must have been an issue, too, because especially uh, uh, the other scientist that's in uh, Bali, Poly- is it?
1: French Polynesia.
0: French Polynesia. Sorry. Uh, a lot of that is on a motorboat that's moving at times.
1: Yeah. Well, and so in that one, like that's working for you, right? So... Um... And, and, and we, you know, we were very, very consciously tried to make those two locations the exact polar opposite um, sonically.
0: Visually, they're polar opposite. Like, right. It's one's the paradise, and the other one's very desolate. Yeah. Uh, yeah and
1: dynamically, it's the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there's lots of, mo- there's tons of movement, tons of just volume in the backgrounds uh, and ambiences and stuff that are happening around that, which helped because, yeah, I mean, those are, those were the production tracks, you know, they had their own challenges as well, so... What's cool about it is is to take, you know, essentially one mono mic and then try and create this, you know, really immersive, really experiential mix. And, you know, in a way, having that mono mic kind of helps with that because it points, you know, it, 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 you're, you 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 kind of have to follow the action in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I dig that. I, I think that's cool. And it allows you to kind of, and we talked about this last time we spoke, it allows you to kind of, you know, focus, uh, you you know, use your focus ring to focus in on specific places and then back off of it. That was an enormous challenge, having, you know, minimal to no PFX and just the one mic to make it work.
0: So there's a a couple scenes uh, also in the Alaska half of the story. It's not divided equally in half, but there's two stories going on where they're on the dinghy and in the background, there's just humpback whales coming out of the water and shooting water up into the air from their blowholes. How much of that is real and how much of that did you... Uh,
1: well, I mean, it's all real, right? But uh, as far as like, you know, sync sound, very little of it is sync sound.
0: Where did you get the real blowhole sounds from then?
1: From, uh, they're, they're cheats from other, other parts of the show.
0: Okay, so they're all recorded for that show. Yes. Like you weren't going into yeah. some kind of library. Yeah, those something.
1: are all stuff that Drew recorded. That's amazing because it
0: sounds, it obviously sounds real because it is real. I should
1: back up on that. A lot of that stuff is stuff Drew recorded. Uh, I I can't be 100% certain that that's the case in every single instance. But a lot of that stuff is stuff that's outtakes from other... The majority yeah. of it, yeah.
0: Wow. When you sat back watching the final playback, what was the thing that you just nodded your head and were like, yes, this that worked you know, really uh, well?
1: Man, I don't usually like to watch stuff that I've worked on. You know, I mean, there's a certain uh, anxiety that comes with watching... Something that you've worked on, right? Because you're like, for sure. I'm gonna find something and I'm gonna regret it. And this one, I, I I think what I like the most about it is just that it comes together and it it feels seamless and it just um it's just it's really difficult for me to pick a favorite spot. I guess if I was going to, and the ones that we kind of play to show off a little bit is the you know like the first six or seven minutes, just because it's impressive sound design and and you know with all the atmos stuff that's happening. Uh,
0: Do you want to just describe what you did in the first six or seven minutes?
1: I mean, it starts out with just like a rumble um, and the rumble kind of moves a little bit around the room just so that it's not flat. So it kind of moves around the room a little bit. And then we start with, you know, kind of very distant whale sounds and then that kind of builds into this cacophony and that's kind of where we're using all the quad stuff that's moving around the room and up and down in the Atmos space. And then it bangs in to reality for a second so we go from kind of this ethereal, like you're in the water, hearing the waves and living with them. And then it bangs into, you know, total reality with this really loud uh, rubber motorboat. And then uh, and then it switches back. And all this is without music. So it's, a you know, strictly a sound design piece. There's a little bit of voiceover. And then we go from that into kind of a music and sound design collage or whatever you want to call it for sound people, there's some pretty neat stuff in there about, you know, listening to like the vanishing point of sound. And and like, I mean, that's part of what's discussed in the film. So being able to do that, you know, in sound design, while someone's talking about those concepts was pretty fun.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool opening. Was it always the beginning designed to be sound design and not music?
1: Yeah, that was the plan yeah, from the beginning. And, and you know, nice. and, and Drew, you know, to his credit, uh, he gave Nick and I a, a lot of leeway, you know, and I remember, the first couple of weeks that I was, you know, kind of getting my mix together once we had all the sound design and all the stuff. And at one point I, I was like, man, I, I think I might be taking this way too far. Cause like, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be enjoying this <laughs> as much as I am. So I called Drew, he's, he lives in Montana and I called Drew and I just said, Hey man, like, you know, here's what I'm doing. Like, is, is it cool if I just go all the way? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Make it your mix. And then, you know, we'll check it out when I get there. And, and he was all for it, so, you know, it's cool to be able to at least present your idea and your 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 thing and, and, you know, I mean, obviously there were changes, but I think he dug it, you know, so. One thing I hate is sending out a stereo mix, a stereo crashdown of my mix, because I don't want that to be the first way somebody hears it, you know, because I don't know what they're listening on, I don't, you know, there's just too many, too many things I don't control. And for the most part, we didn't do that with Drew, so he showed up, heard it in Atmos for the first time after hearing a mono production track you know, it blew his mind a little bit. And that's, that's kind of what we're supposed to do, right? Like, it's like, oh my God, that's my film. So I don't know to make a, a, you know, long answer to a short question, but especially with the Atmos stuff, I think that you can kind of, you know, you take this film that, that is good and has a great story and has passion and has all that. And like what we do is like, you know, take a, a polishing and just sit there and polish that stone and polish it and polish it. Everything becomes clearer. The fog that's sitting on the movie screen starts to go dissipate and you're, You know, you go from being a passive watcher to engaged, you know. Wow, that's
0: awesome. That's a great way to put it.
1: You know, the more and more that we're doing Atmos for home theater, uh, I I really feel like it's a format that really lends itself to the future of sound. You know, I mean, I think think a lot of people are like, well, you know, well, my, you know, my film is probably never going to screen in Atmos. So what's the point? You know, particularly with Apple Plus and, and them promoting all the spatial stuff, I just feel like. You know, there's almost no reason not to start a film now and just make everything at least, you know, native Atmos, whether it plays theatrically that way or not, because, um, you know, there's just so many things that the format is capable of doing and that it's, for, it's capable of doing in the future, you know, when, in version three or four or five or whatever it is. So for me, like anything I start, you know, we're having conversations with with with, um, you know, independent films now and saying, hey, you know, there's no reason not to do this, really. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you get picked up by a streamer, they're going to want it. You know, Netflix all but demands it, and they should. And so does Apple Plus, and so does Amazon now. And and to me, having to go back, which I've had that experience in the last six months, too, where we mixed a film, and then it was picked up, and then we had to go back and put it into Atmos. It, it's so much less effort to just do it. You know, if it never gets used, it still exists, right? Like that mm-hmm. that format still exists. And I, I just think the world of it. The more I use it and the more I'm getting into it, the more I really, really think that there's just no reason not to do stuff that way. And to be honest, I don't know that I would have done this film that way or or pushed for it without being pushed a little bit from from Apple. I, I'm so glad we did because I think it's a completely I don't want to say a different film or a different mix, but it's it's it, it, it allowed us to do things that we certainly couldn't have done just doing five one and seven one. So I'm a huge proponent of it now and, and trying to do everything in Atmos if if that's possible.
0: Yeah, it adds a whole new dimension to the sound, and as sound people, it's fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And (laughs) one of the things I think is important about it is that it has the ability to create all these other formats doing a pretty good job from your original, right? I mean, like on a huge Mm -hmm. film, you're always going to do a specific 7-1 pass and a specific 5-1 pass, but... I think having a single file that can do all of that is important because you know, having been around long enough to see other people make mistakes and transfer and and do things wrong, you know, this way all that metadata is saved. It's you know, it's crashing down the mix the way I wanted to crash it down. And I, I just think that's important. And I think that moving forward as the technology changes and stuff, it just gives us as, as the creatives the opportunity to have more say in the way it plays downstream you know not all the same, but more at least more yeah Yeah, definitely no man it was a cool film it was fun
0: it's a really cool film and uh, I hope that all the uh, people listening to this podcast go search it out because uh, as sound people it's super gratifying to listen and to hear the whale song in particular it was a real moving experience for me Thank you for all the hard work you did on it, and uh, we'll have you back on again soon, hopefully.
1: Thanks, man. It's it's uh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun last time, and this has been fun too.
0: we're just going to sit back and let you listen to some whale song recordings featured in the film as we end this episode they're both beautiful and haunting before we wrap up I would like to send a big thanks to David D'Agostino who volunteered to edit and mix this episode you can see what David has been up to in the sound design world at pixelpenguin.ca okay i'm gonna let the whales take us out but before that pay attention to the tone bender's feed as we have a bunch of really exciting episodes coming up in october and november i can't wait for you all to hear them my name's tim muirhead and for brad King and the alaskan humpback whales thanks for listening Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Moro. Theme music is by Mark Straight. Send your emails to info at follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders, and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or b or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.